Welcome to Women Beyond Faith, where we are finding freedom on the other side, one story at a time. For women who have walked away from faith, the challenges are often overwhelming, isolated, abandoned by family, misunderstood by partners, ostracized by friends, shamed for thinking critically, cursed for speaking out, subdued by the patriarchy. Thank you for joining us today as we provide a platform for women to speak up, to speak out, and to share their stories because their stories count. Their stories matter. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, It's so good to be back and having a guest on the show today. I am privileged to be able to have Janice Selby, registered professional counselor and religious recovery consultant. What? There's (laughs) such a thing. Um, Janice, I recently have been turned on to you and your work. We have some mutual friends, I think, on Facebook and social media. And your name came up for me, I think, in possibly the marketing of the court the conference on religious trauma that mm-hmm. just trans- just happened not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So I think that was where I was first introduced to you. So um, thank you for being willing to have a conversation with me today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's always uh, a pleasure to be able to connect with people um, who have an interest in religious trauma and recovery. Ooh, yeah, yes, uh, that would be me. I, uh, <laughs> I have been officially, I don't know, out of the faith for maybe about six-ish years where I acknowledged to myself that I no, no longer believed in the tenets of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are still many a day where I find myself struggling with um, the fallout of my mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. in evangelicalism. And mm-hmm. I think especially these days, I have three young adult children. Mm-hmm. And in the watching of them, as they continue to deconstruct mm-hmm. and, and process and work through their trauma that mm-hmm. I Mm-hmm. unfortunately, was one of the main people who heaped that trauma upon them mm-hmm. as I tried mm-hmm. to teach them in the ways that they should go so they would not oh, depart from their Christian faith. That's it. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> that's for sure. My kids are also um, in their uh, early and middle 20s, and we have all deconstructed, including their dad, whom I'm no longer married to, uh, but we're all quite close to each other and what can we do other than own the truth that yes we were responsible unfortunately for inflicting some trauma uh, onto our beloved children in the name of religion so I mean I encourage mine to uh, to get secular therapy get help and just um, I support them however I can in that yeah Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, we recently started a women's support group here on the Women Beyond Faith, kind of our secret group. And, and we've had, I think, three different sessions. And um, there's a lot of us who have children who are deeply struggling with either Mm -hmm. mental health issues or sexual purity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know stuff still and uh it's it is hard to 
to, I don't know, acknowledge, maybe not so much acknowledge, but I guess to see your adult children suffering um, based upon, yeah, yeah, some of those beliefs and some of those ways that you chose to live your life when they were in those formative years. Yeah. And you know, one, one thing I did um, with both of my daughters was um, at some point in my deconstruction, deconversion experience, I wrote each of them a very specific apology letter. And I named and listed out all the different ways I could see and that I could think of where my religiously training and indoctrinating them was causing them harm Hmm. today. And I was very specific about it and uh, sincerely apologetic and welcomed any dialogue with them if they wanted to talk about ways that they had been hurt and impacted negatively uh, by my parenting and specifically, um, you know, religious parenting, that I would welcome any conversation with them and that I didn't want to push, push them or, or harp, harp about it, uh, but that I supported them in there if they would decide to um, seek counseling and therapy that I would want to help with that however I could. That's great. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my children um, has been an intense therapy this summer. She's just only home for the summer. She, she teaches abroad and came home for the summer for a few reasons, but one of them was to get some intense therapy to work through, um, you know, purity culture and sexual mm-hmm. identity and healthy mm-hmm. sexual identity and, um, yeah, it's been, it's been intense for us, you know, me as her mom kind of watching her work through that. And, um, and for her, additionally, she had some childhood sexual trauma from a, from a family member. Mm -hmm. So, you know, her sexuality is coupled not only with the the religious purity culture aspects, but then with this trauma that she experienced as a young child that was not really handled or dealt with well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah, but, oh my gosh, I think Janice, like to be 23, as she is and to be working through this stuff at mm-hmm. her age like mm-hmm. the the tools that she has already that when I was that age I certainly did not have right. and um, as difficult mm-hmm. as it is for her I'm you know I'm so proud to see her working so hard to find uh, find some healing oh yes yes and being able also to uh point them to resources that were not available um you know earlier on uh, resources around uh, religious trauma recovery and recovery from purity culture indoctrination and one thing i do as well is i um, offer my own daughters i'm able to give them free tickets free access to the conferences that I do nice. uh, in case there's anything there that they think would be uh, particularly um, helpful for them yeah wow that's lovely oh my goodness reading your bio Janice I'm like exhausted like you <laughs> you I mean we'll get into this but you are doing so much good stuff and working through religious trauma and and shameful sexuality to get Mm. people to the other side um but let's Mm. back up a little bit and let's just talk a little bit about about your story and Mm. what 
and how were you indoctrinated into mm. religion? Did that mm -hmm. start for you? Like, were you born into a family that was religious? I sure was. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Even over in Canada, we got that happening too. Wow. Yes. My uh, parents were, <clears throat> by the time I came along, pardon me, in 1970, my parents were Pentecostal. Like they were attending a church that was called, um, apostolic uh pentecostal assembly of canada so pretty much still pentecostal my dad would speak in tongues around our home and when i was sick my parents would anoint me with oil and church was uh always kind of fun and exciting as far as the music yeah. um and then uh you know sometimes kind of scary if it was they were talking about hell or anything like that a lot of times church was just boring uh, because that's also <laughs> that also can be quite true of the messaging that goes on there but um so that's the home I was born into and raised in but my parents um they kept my siblings and I in public school we didn't mm. attend private school uh but even, even right from a very young age in public school, I realized that I was different. The way that I saw the world was different. The way things were in my home uh, were different. And I felt like it was really hard. Like I was trying to straddle with a foot in each, in mm. each world, in the religious world and in the secular world. And uh, try as I may, there was no way I was going to be popular or one of the cool <laughs> kids. Um, but I certainly was the goody goody, the goody two shoes of my schooling. And indeed, that earned me the nickname of Constable because, yes, it seemed that I was always letting the teacher know that something wasn't right. So, you know, maybe I heard there was going to be a fight after school in the parking <laughs> lot or something like that. Oh, no, teacher, teacher. Um, so, my very, very rigid uh, rule following black and white thinking. And it's also true that my father, who was a religious fundamentalist, is also a, a narcissist. Mm. And um, so that's a, you know, that can be a difficult combination. And he was uh, very volatile emotionally and could be scary at times. And so I learned early on to follow rules and that rules were very important because rule following could keep me safe. And so that I think really primed me as I got older. So I, I married um, a man who was also a Christian. We were introduced by our pastor and, but this uh, man that I married, he hadn't become um, um, Christian until in his late teens, like 18 or 19. Okay. So for me, I was steeped in it born yeah. into it, no real choice. Um, for him, he, he chose it, but he was uh, very, quite a bright person and um, somewhat of an apologist, a Christian apologist. So of course he had all the answers and um, we got married and moved to a small town in uh, Alberta, which is one of our prairie provinces so that he could attend quite a conservative Bible college. Mm -hmm. And I, we had uh, small children at that time so I would be um, taking up the role of homemaker with our children. And when we first moved to the school, I was still um, fairly liberal in my thinking. But the longer we were there, as the kids got older, and then they were school age, and then I started homeschooling them. So then I was getting in with the homeschool community, which can be 
yeah uh, fairly conservative and then I kept noticing when we would go uh to town um women who were in there doing the grocery shopping and they always wore a head covering and very modest uh dresses and I said to my husband at the time are those people Amish I didn't think we had Amish here in Canada and he said no no they're not they're a particular brand of Mennonite um and what they're doing is biblical the New Testament Paul tells women of yes. course Paul tells women what to do um <laughs> how they're supposed to dress and behave and all this kind of stuff and so then I went uh to the library and I got out the lexicon and the concordance and all these things so that I could rightly divine the word of, of God and find out what the actual truth was. Yeah. And sure enough, there Paul was saying it in black and white. Women were to dress modestly. They weren't to wear jewelry. They were to cover their heads when they were praying. And also, you know, we were to pray without ceasing. So I thought it would make sense then that women should always have their hair covered. And uh, I just went right down that rabbit hole. I was so excited to find wow. even more rules, oh my more goodness. rules to follow. <laughs> so I felt safer and safer. And, and my, my husband at the time, who didn't grow up with the love of rules that I had, he said to me, you know, dear, you're making your circle smaller and smaller how small are you going to make it and I just thought he was not holy enough obviously <laughs> I was gonna make that circle very darn small uh you know wouldn't have room for much more than me in it I guess mm -hmm. and uh so I started wearing a head covering got rid of all my jewelry stopped wearing my wedding ring um we we had no um television channels um so our kids basically just grew up watching veggie tales then yes um, but really went out of my way to try and manipulate our lives to have as little secular influence mm -hmm. as possible it was james dobson and you know very little very little else uh, and i felt uh so pious and so happy um in that role and setting this example teaching my daughters to be keepers of the home and uh, this sort of thing um and then eventually uh he my husband at the time he got a job pastoring in the next province over saskatchewan another prairie province and i felt nervous about that because i felt like he was a decent teacher but not a good cheerleader at all and in my mind a pastor had to be both and so I really I wanted him to reconsider I wanted him I thought he'd be much better suited to being a professor or a teacher at a bible college than being a pastor but he had uh, other thoughts on the matter and he was in charge he was my spiritual head so I can remember even literally begging him on my knees please don't do this I think it's going to be a huge and very costly mistake oh my goodness. and he said someone has to be steering the ship and that's someone, according to God, is me. Wow. So you better just get purpose lined. in your heart that it's yeah. uh, you're going to be a pastor's wife and this is how it's going to be. And wow. um, and I was uh, I'm quite musical. And uh, my husband at the time, um, he played guitar. And so we moved to this teeny tiny, oh, very small town, the smallest town I'd ever even been to. <laughs> and uh, we come in as the new pastors of this church which only had about 
you know, 25 people, even if that, and they were all farmers, pretty much. They just wanted someone to, to bury them when the time came, but he was uh, very zealous and we're going to turn this thing around and we're going to start having youth, exciting youth activities and and he did not like hymns. And so we weren't going to be doing any hymns. We were going to be doing jacked up stuff on, you know, full, full loudspeaker stacks uh, with the electric guitar. And so I'd have to stand up there every Sunday to lead the worship. And the, some of the folks, they would just cross their arms. They would oh. turn their head away. They wouldn't sing. It was so painful to be in that position and not feel like I had any way out of it it was so hard and um and then there were just a series of events that took place in a really short span of time in about a year a year and a half just a series of calamities that hit our family it was one thing after another after another and then um he eventually the church uh, asked us to move along we were having a hard time i think with the um with the changes that he was wanting to make and the speed he wanted to make them at. And then he became super depressed and angry with me. He felt that I was the problem. And we, so we moved away, had to move uh, back to, um, back to Alberta. And that was really hard on both of us. And, and at that time, during that time, my parents who'd been married 43 years, uh, they also split up. And that was shocking, but uh, liberating that because my mom is the most wonderful, if I'm going to say godly, like she's just a delight. She is religious, but she's religious in the way that she loves everyone. And she thinks everyone just deserves to be loved. And I thought, holy I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. Yes, you are. Swear away. I thought, holy fucking shit. If my (laughs) mother, if the holiest woman I know can, can actually, you know, show my narcissistic father the door and end that marriage, then maybe I don't have to stay in the most difficult relationship I've ever experienced. And I couldn't even, it was just like in the back of my mind. It wasn't even something, but it felt like the lid had been opened a little bit. So some steam could escape that I thought, I thought, okay, maybe I'm not, because it was, the marriage was always um, a bit of a challenge because our personalities are quite, quite different. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, Oh, okay, maybe I'm not so stuck. So then we ended up moving again. We went bankrupt. We, Mm. my parents divorced, my nephew went to uh, prison for killing somebody. It was just a series of calamities. And then our uh, youngest daughter received a life-threatening lifelong diagnosis. And that was it. I just thought, I've bet on the wrong horse somehow. It's all this time. I thought it was Christianity, but I must, I must be wrong. And we were receiving like no support from the church at all. It was a very, such a painful time. And the marriage was also, you know, coming unraveled. Um, And so then I decided I was going to give myself freedom to start exploring outside of Christianity and it was so terrifying yes just the thought of it I I had come to terms with the thought that perhaps I might 
have to suffer in hell for all eternity oh. for rejecting Christianity, but I couldn't bear the thought that my innocent daughters, yeah. if I lead them astray, that they might suffer that. That was that was really yeah. hard for me. I had to grapple with that um, for quite uh, yes. a long time before I could get to a point where I felt comfortable um, with it. And so at first, my explorations <laughs> were quite secretive. Like I went to a, a store, a used bookstore, and then they had this portion in the back. It was like roped off with a velvet door or whatever <laughs> and the sign above it said you know alternative religions and the occult and one day I was just like I am going in there <laughs> and I sucked up all my courage and I whipped open that curtain and I stepped inside and then I quickly closed the curtain because I didn't want anyone to see that I was in there mm -hmm. and I just stood there my heart was pounding I could hear it in my ears and I'm thinking what what am I doing what am I doing uh you know but no lightning strike came right, so that yeah. seemed promising uh -huh. and then I, I I found a book that looked kind of like a textbook it was comparing and contrasting different religions and so I thought oh okay that's for me so I grabbed it and went up to the till and I truly asked the cashier to put it in a brown paper bag <laughs> I, I was so <laughs> nervous and I took it home and I couldn't even read it I kept it in the brown bag and I put it in the one place I knew even God would not look and that was in my underwear drawer <laughs> I just stuck that book in the brown paper bag in my underwear drawer and there it stayed until Wow. I felt um, confident, confident enough and yeah. comfortable enough to to start taking a look at it, which I would only do when no one else was. Yeah. Um, you know, so were so. you still married at this time when you yes. were doing this exploration? Okay. Yes. And so uh, my husband at the time was was no longer pastoring. Right. Um, uh, and we were just really trying to come to terms with how our uh, life was going to be completely different from that day forward um, due to our daughter's health diagnosis. Yeah. And so there really was emotionally uh, wow. a lot of devastation. And it's not like we were there supporting each other. We were in our separate yes. corners trying yeah. to figure out what was going on. Wow. And, and was that, I mean, like all of these calamities, Janice, that took place mm -hmm. within this year, was were, were you thinking or, I mean, subconsciously, maybe even that like where where is God in all this like how can oh, this yeah be? yeah so that was for yeah. sure for sure and praying you know how and yeah God, what, how how have I offended you right what have I done have I not been merciful enough have I not been charitable yes um enough what's what's going on and you know no answer no answer. and then scared to really reach out uh to my religious friends because I felt certain the answer I would get would be you need to pray more right or God is testing right your, your faith oh, so don't goodness. be such a whiny baby just uh yeah. you know grit your teeth and who knows you know good things are coming your way or whatever yeah uh, and things. so and you were so very isolated like you, yeah you I didn't have your isolated. husband to speak to you didn't have yeah. it sounds like any friends or family members who were necessarily safe people for you to go to so you were literally doing this all on your own under the cover yes. of darkness oh yes and this is before podcasts were yeah. a thing um and but but the internet was a thing by then and I remember sitting in front of the internet in front of the computer just crying trying to think what do I even type in do do I type in I lost my faith do I type in 
I don't believe anymore. Like I was so hurting and so desperate for community and I didn't even have the words um, yeah. for it. But I, what I did recognize was that somehow what I was experiencing coming out of uh, an entirely religious mindset was similar to people who had been indoctrinated by cults. Mm -hmm. And so that I just started reading up on Hmm. indoctrination and cults and the idea of mind control and that sort of thing and it was so it was very interesting and that was one way that I was helping myself by teaching myself yeah. educating myself um, getting some uh, insight around what what had happened hmm. uh, and then I had to go um, back to work because our the hometown that we moved back to where we are now is quite expensive. And so I couldn't keep homeschooling the kids and survive on uh, one income. So I went to work at our local hospital and that was the first place really in my adult years that I was surrounded by people who thought differently than me, Wow, who were not religious people. And this one lady came to work and there we were told she was new from uh, another province and, um, and I liked her right away. I could tell she was quite bright and had a great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt like she would be a safe first person for me yeah. to talk to about these things. And so she didn't have any friends. She was new to the area. So we started our friendship and, and I told her that, um, you know, my, my faith wasn't what it was and that I didn't know how long my marriage would last. And she had just ended a marriage. And um, so she was a really good person for me to talk to. And we, we went for coffee one day before work and, and I leaned in close to her. I didn't want anyone else to hear. And I said, Heather, I'm starting to wonder if maybe Adam and Eve weren't real people. <laughs> and she just looked at me. She, she just burst out laughing and she she put her hand on my shoulder and she said well Jan I, I figured that one out when I was about seven years old but oh, I'm glad no. you're I'm glad you're catching up oh. <laughs> you know? of course she wasn't she wasn't indoctrinated she wasn't raised in a super religious environment but just being able to share that with her and and be met with um love and and laughter yes. like a sense of that it's gonna be okay uh -huh. it's all right it's gonna be okay uh -huh. that was so helpful and so we're still friends uh quite quite good friends oh, to this good. day and then eventually within a couple years of that I was on the internet again and <laughs> I came across uh Dr. Marlene Winnell and yes. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Winnell and her very important book is called Leaving the Fold. Yes. And so I, I watched a couple of interviews with Dr. Winnell and immediately phoned her, found her mm. phone number and called her up. Uh, you're the only person I can talk to. I'm sure you're the only person who can relate to this. And she said, well, uh, I want you to come out to a re retreat that I'm hosting in San Francisco. And I'm in BC. So San Francisco wasn't too much yeah, of a stretch. Although I was utterly terrified to fly, to go by myself, to spend a weekend with people I didn't know. And I'm like, oh my God, what if this is a cult? What if, what if I never come back from this? 
So I was literally reading her book, finishing her book on the airplane, um, flying into this, uh, to the airport in San Francisco. And then a total stranger picked me up and took me to the house where this retreat was being. And I was so, so scared and so nervous, but oh my word, within just, you know, an hour of being there, I felt so accepted. I felt I was with people from all different backgrounds, but they could understand my pain and my confusion and my sorrow. And we're all crying and hugging each other and sharing our stories. And uh, it was just so tremendous. So I went back and did another couple of retreats with Dr. Winnell. And and by then I had uh, completed my um, counseling training to become a registered professional counselor. And I decided, okay, I need to write a workshop. I didn't know if I had it in me to do a great book like Marlene had done, Mm -hmm. but I thought I can for sure do a workshop. And so I developed this workshop, the Divorcing Religion Workshop, because of course I was divorcing, had just come through divorcing my husband. So they seemed to parallel each other because I knew the grief that I had over losing Jesus uh, felt very similar to the grief of losing a husband you know of 20 20 years it felt even worse than than that so I developed that workshop and then I went to see Marlene again Dr. Winnell and I said well so do we have conferences on this or what and she said no but I think you know you're the person to do it and never having even attended a conference before, I'm like, oh, yuck, yuck, I guess I will do it. I'm going to oh host gosh. a conference. And of course, that was completely crazy and uh, audacious. And and I did it. Wow. And now we've just had our second one. And she, so Marlene really helped me. She gave me a, a list of a few folks uh, prominent in the religious trauma recovery community, said, tell these people that I'm going to be speaking at your event and they'll pay attention. And so they did. Aww. It was just incredible. But you know, that was in 2019. And then I was all prepared. I was going to host it in Vancouver, which is another city in my province for 2020. So I was selling all these tickets, going on all these podcasts, talking about it. And then the virus hit. And so I had to. Uh, put everything on hold and now I was living with uh, a gentleman at that time and uh, he had helped me with all my website stuff put everything together he had done lots of conferences and so he helped me set up the you know how to collect money and everything and I trusted him completely and then he was away working uh, out of town when I had to when I made the decision to cancel the conference and I couldn't figure out I sent him an email telling him and I sent him a text and he wasn't answering and he wasn't answering my calls. And I thought, what is going on? And then to my shock and horror, he sent me an email and said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, you can't do what we were, we were planning. My, my one daughter was living with the both of us and he was moving us to um another province he was moving us to toronto which is pretty far from uh, bc and he was working there and so he was sending photos of how he was updating the place for us to live and then he just sends me this note out of the blue that he can't do it anymore and i i was devastated and shocked and then uh 
I started trying to pay people back for the tickets. And then I found that he had stolen the money. Oh no! He had taken the money. And then within about a week of that, uh, I got a very angry text from our landlord who said, how come you haven't opened that priority mail letter that I sent? Well, he didn't send it to me. It was in my partner's name. We were being evicted. Oh my was, gosh, Janice. Evicting us. So this all happened in like a month. Uh, and so then I was trying to pay back everybody and find a new place for my daughter and I to live and cope with my terribly shattered heart. Uh, it was 2020 was a really oh, challenging year yes. for me. But you know what, I was able to find a new place uh, to live. And um, then once I felt a little more settled, I thought, I'm going to have that conference after all, I can't have it in 2020. But I'm going to have it in 2021, I'm going to move it online. And that's exactly what I did and it was extremely well supported and then in the meantime you know I had met uh well I had connected very deeply with someone that I'd already known for a while and and now we're married now I'm married to this wonderful person we just got married in July oh I saw your that that might have been right around the time I first saw your name (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, with your, I'm getting married. And then you have this wedding picture. And then you're like, oh my goodness, the love of my life. And that, congratulations, Janice. That Thank is you. lovely. I'm sorry there were all those hard things in between. But you uh, never know what's coming, but yeah. you have to be resilient. You have to be able to roll with it, whatever yeah. life knocks you down with. Damn, girl, it's... you got some tenacity in those bones. <laughs> I do. They grow I up do. strong up there in BC, huh? <laughs> That's oh, my the truth. Goodness. That's the truth. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. I couldn't be happier with how my life has turned out, and then. So now I've also just started, I told you I did develop the Divorcing Religion Workshop, and then I did the Conference on Religious Trauma, and that's become an annual event. And and, uh, just today, I did my uh, very first ever episode of the Divorcing Religion Podcast. And for my guest, if you can believe it, I had freaking Seth Andrews, the thinking atheist. I'm like, holy cow, we're starting off with a great big bang here. Janice, you are killing it, girl. (laughs) You are killing it. I know. Amazing. I know. Like our lives are supposed to go to shit after we leave religion. You know, and not that but but look look at you. How I mean, so I mean, you had the confidence of Marlene. I don't know Marlene personally, but I have friend I have a friend who has worked for Marlene Mm -hmm. as her personal assistant Mm -hmm. over the years. And Mm -hmm. I've I have read Marlene's book early on in my deconversion. And um yeah, she is a bundle of knowledge and and so her confidence Mm -hmm. and her belief in you really allowed you to kind of make this conference kind of kind of happen huh absolutely yes I'm I'm really indebted to uh Marley and to Dr. Winnell and now I also count her as a a true friend and a professional mentor. So I had already, I was already uh, a counselor. So I knew uh, about working with people. uh, But it was not until um, I met with Marlene and read her book that I really started deeply exploring my own religious trauma. And that's exactly the name for it. Um, And so that was really 
helpful for me. And so Marlene has spoken at my conferences. She'll speak again in 2023. And in October, so we're in uh, just about in September, in October, I'm hosting the first ever Shameless Sexuality Life After Purity Culture. Oh my goodness, I conference. love that. Now tell me a little bit more about, about that conference. What's that going to look like? And is it online or in person? Or It is once again online. Okay. I don't feel like, uh, I, I'm not real confident that we've 100% leaped over that hurdle yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to be able to keep, keep people as safe as possible. And also I can keep my prices somewhat reduced yes. by having events online and they're all recorded so people can buy a ticket to a to attend the live online event and they get all the recordings and they get to interact and ask questions with all the speakers and for people uh who maybe live in other time zones other countries Uh or they just don't quite have that much money they can buy just the recordings and I offer that to them at a reduced rate because I want as many people to be able to receive help and accurate information as possible so I just I just send out letters and write to all these people who don't even know me who have probably (laughs) never even heard but I'm like, wow, you wrote a great book on um, sexuality. And I wonder if you'd like to talk at my, at my oh, conference. And then when awesome. I tell them that it's for people recovering from purity culture, they're like, oh yeah, that's a seriously underserved uh, demographic and they really need um, help. Yes. So that's what I did. Just started writing letters and asking people. And uh, now we have uh, several speakers who will be joining us from around the world to talk about sexuality, to talk about um, religious trauma, to talk about purity culture, all the way those things overlap. Uh, And I think it's just going to be a very informative time. And and right now I've just been putting together a panel discussion uh, and it will be called More Than Monogamy. Because a lot of people who got married very young, say 18 or 19, because they were deeply religious and they married just this one person because they wanted to have sex. They knew they couldn't have sex outside of marriage. Now they've been married for 20 years and now they, they have released and relinquished their faith. They're no longer religious uh, and they are wondering, are there options if the, you know, the marriage is feeling stale or I'm not sure about this or that, or I'm curious about this. So I'm putting together this panel of people who have either opened their marriage or they've embraced their own identity in the LGBTQ uh, two-spirit community, which they didn't they didn't have that option before. So we're just going to have an honest and hopefully fun and really open discussion about about what it's like to make the move from uh, the strictly, you know, hetero Christian kind of ideal of family to expand it to something else. And so I think that'll be an interesting um, conversation. Oh, for sure. I have a good friend, um, Marie LePage. She's leading our panel discussion. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, if you don't have Marie, you need to get Marie on board. But I assume she would be the person who would be in charge of that. Oh, yes. She's so great. She is so fabulous. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That much needed for sure. I know for me personally, it's been my husband, we, we, our entire family has left faith as 
um, has yours. Mm -hmm. And my husband seems more conservatively minded Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways than he was when we were inside of religion. And yeah, it's so interesting. And, um, you know, and so I, you know, I've spoken to him about experimenting with Mm -hmm. our relationship and Mm -hmm. our marriage and sexual partners and so forth. And he Mm -hmm. is just not interested whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if you want to do that, then you're going to have to say, you know, goodbye, goodbye to me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, the conversation has come up, you know, a number of times over the Mm -hmm. years, but, um, Mm -hmm. It, it is very interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I have many of friends who have ventured into that world and some successfully. So, yes. and others, mm-hmm. not so much and others yes. who have ended up leaving their spouse for another lover or mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 it does require, I remember one of the things Marie has talked about over the years is it requires a very high level of maturity to be able to, uh, do non-monogamy well yeah and I think there's so many people who have not necessarily they may have left religion but they haven't necessarily worked on healing of their trauma in order to be in a space that they can do that sort of thing well but um, yes and there can be an issue too with um uh the matter of entitlement and feeling particularly I think with um fellows that come out of Christianity, the whole idea that they are entitled to their yeah. partner's sexuality right. and people can feel uh, just a lot of fear rather than curiosity. I'm always encouraging my, my religious trauma recovery clients, let's swap out judgment for curiosity wherever we can. And let's also try and do that for fear. If we yes. can just get curious and it doesn't mean you have to commit to something that that you feel you don't want to do but we can be curious and ask questions and uh explore and read books esther peril um is an author a very well yes and and you're right for some folks it doesn't it doesn't work they they and i was that way i you know after my marriage had a relationship with someone and uh he was very much interested in it being more of an open situation even though we were living together and I thought oh why not I've never tried this before I'm curious I like sex maybe I'll like sex with lots of people um so you know giving uh, ourselves uh, permission to be curious that way uh, but then in the end I found um you know what I've so I've scratched that itch where yep. I've been really curious yeah. um and I think I'm more monogamous than I actually yeah. thought that I was. Uh, so I, but he didn't feel that way. He wanted to. So that relationship um, ended because yeah. he needed, he required more freedom right. uh, than I was able to, to yeah. give. And uh, now I'm with a, with a partner who just suits me beautifully. Aww. We're just so happy together. And he's a, uh, you know, has no issues with um, me identifying as part of the LGBTQIA community. He's just fine with that, supports me, and um, he's a wonderful human and a scientist and an atheist. Oh, so oh that's quite check, different check, from check. being married to a pastor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes when I look back on you know, when, well, let's just a good example would be like when a Facebook memory comes up from oh, yeah. 10 years ago, oh. you know, quoting this Bible verse or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> that was me. 
Yeah. Like it just seems like another lifetime or another person altogether yeah. who lived mm-hmm. that life. Um, yeah. And yet it was me, you know, it was mm-hmm. you. And, and I'm, I'm still working on rediscovering maybe myself. Cause I did not grow mm-hmm. up in a family, a religious family. I chose religion for myself mm-hmm. at a young age, kind mm-hmm. of sort of because my paternal grandparents were super, super home churchy fundamentalist yeah. Mennonites actually with mm-hmm. head coverings regularly oh, boy, oh, lots. Mm-hmm. And so as a child, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in, at their home because it was kind of a peaceful home compared to yes. the home that I was growing up in. And right. so my, you know, my, my mom and dad weren't religious, but my grandparents were. And so I definitely caught a lot of those vibes on, you know, purity culture and oh, yes. not being good enough because I wasn't in the correct tribe mm-hmm. and all that but um it it is really hard to believe and that that was me when here I am today and I feel like a new a new person yes person it's incredible isn't it you know I think sometimes what would 15 years ago what would I you know have been thinking and of course I'd think that I'd lost my mind the devil had got (laughs) me uh you know how terrible how sad and really I just um I'm enjoying my life on such an incredibly deep level uh, that was not available to me before because my circle was so small. My life was so small. And the only thing that could could please me and give me meaning and purpose would be if my children followed Jesus, if I was able to convert people to Jesus. And now, obviously, that doesn't even factor in. I can have as many friends from as many backgrounds as I want. And there's no pressure. I don't have to convert them. I don't have to believe what they believe. I just have to enjoy them. I know it's such a delight. It's Mm -hmm. such a pressure that's been removed, you know, a burden removed from our shoulders. And I, my, uh, my one daughter just, I picked her up at the airport right before we got on today. And she just came back from visiting a good friend out in Utah mm-hmm. and her friend is Mormon ish. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just chit chatting on the way home from the airport. The, they were, she, my, my daughter was at a coffee shop in Salt Lake, actually Provo, you know, where BYU mm-hmm. is and a coffee mm-hmm. shop in a Mormon town, right? For in and of itself is like, wait a second, what? But she's like, it's such an interesting culture because there's the Mormons who are obviously Mormon. They're not at the coffee shop. And then there's the Mormonish kids and people who are at the coffee shop. And then there's their non-Mormon people who are, you know, got the tattoos going on and who are cussing mm-hmm. and all that. And she says, it's just so interesting as a non-believer and non-Mormon to mm-hmm. sit there and kind of observe this culture of which Mm -hmm. she's never been a part but that her friend still belongs to and -hmm. just kind of evaluating all the different people groups and and belief systems and for for me you know as she's talking about the coffee thing right I'm just like how can they not see what a bunch of bullshit that is (laughs) and then she goes on to share the fact that well the people who are Mormon they go to the soda shop they have like these fancy soda shops because Mormons can drink cold caffeinated beverages oh is that okay I Uh, see Wow. Isn't that, does, I mean, like for you and me, it's like, it's all caffeine. Cold coffee is yeah, okay. Cold, oh my gosh. Yeah. Cold caffeine is okay, but not. The I pretzels mean, we twist ourselves into <laughs> to try yes. and make sure we can, we're still, we're not quite breaking the rules. We're maybe bending them a little, but yeah, yeah we're it, so tribal. It's so very much related to how humanity 
evolved and how our brains evolved, you know, and seeing patterns everywhere and having to be hyper vigilant for our own safety. And so just making up, well, I don't understand this. So I'm going to make up this story about how this, how this ever happened. Uh, And then some of the way that we uh, evolved, it's like a glitch got hijacked and it's perfect, perfect, perfect for religion and cults and conspiracy theories to weasel their way in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's remarkable to me, you know, as I talk to more and more women and listen to more stories that some of us ever get out you know, yes. like for someone like you, Janice, you, mm-hmm. you were swimming in the water since before mm-hmm. birth, right in the yeah. womb. Mm-hmm. And it, it's incredible to me, the tenacity, as we talked about earlier, that, mm-hmm. that we are able to find our way out and claw our way out. And not only just that, but then to be able to put our lives back together separate from the mm-hmm. faith and and you went to school and you started a uh you you wrote a workshop and mm-hmm. then you started putting together these <laughs> conferences like yeah. like not only just to escape and put yourself back together but then to be able to thrive mm-hmm. on the other side like it's mm-hmm. just such an inspiration i know not all of the women or men for that matter, who have left faith are thriving. There are a lot of people that, as you talk to too, right, in your professional work, who are really struggling, you know, mm-hmm. whose families have disowned them, who oh, are dear. unable to get jobs now because they yeah. were the worship leader or they were the pastor's right. wife. Mm-hmm. And um, so life is not always a success story for those people who have left faith. I actually have a couple of friends who are kind of finding their way back into faith and back oh, into dear. the church yes. because of the fact that they can be with family again and be accepted yeah. mm-hmm. and have a community. And that's got to oh. be a real a real challenge. Um, yeah, that's that's so hard, and I, I see that type of thing also with um, people, young people, young men especially, but young people who've been flung out of the FLDS community uh, yeah. or the Amish community, and they they don't have anyone to catch them, and they have only had up to maybe a grade eight education they've never been on a computer they are so ripe for predators and predatory behavior uh and some of them uh you know some of them don't end up surviving some make their way back into the uh, to the religious community because it's all they know and they don't think that they can survive apart from that so i get it when people are feeling like they just uh they're just so hungry for that connection for family and for yeah. things that are familiar. But the truth is Oliver Wendell Holmes put it really well. He said, the mind once expanded can never return to its former dimensions. So they may be able to go back and play a, you know, kind of play a role, pretend that everything's okay. But if they actually were able to grasp that there is life outside the church and that in fact, a lot of what the Bible says is absolute malarkey. Um, They're, they're going to be having some inner strife uh, even going back there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, How's your daughter's health these days? 
Um, she is certainly still with us. She's in her early 20s now. Um, she's on um, disability, won't, won't be able to um, hold a job and has a lot of complications uh, related to her initial um, type 1 diagnosis. Um, but she's she seems happy. So she lives with me and my, uh, my new husband, my, my other daughter also lives in town. And so does my ex-husband. Oh. And so we're all just a nice, big, happy oh. group. We all go out for dinner together. We have family chat together. Um, and so even my ex-husband has made his way out of uh, religion as wow. well. He's had his own journey and he supports me in the, the work that I'm doing so I feel like things are good they're about as good as I could possibly yes. imagine I'm really enjoying my life and that doesn't mean it's without issues right. or problems or challenges um, but I feel supported now uh, in a very significant uh, way and I love what I'm doing oh that is great so what advice would you have Janice for other women who are either considering looking at mm -hmm. those textbooks, books that you looked at <laughs> behind mm -hmm. the velvet secret door <laughs> at the right. local bookshop or who have already done so and are, are struggling um, mm. after leaving religion. What sort of advice, yeah. recommendations would you have for, for those ladies? I would say allow yourself uh to be curious, to yeah. feel curious, to explore whatever piques your interest. Mm -hmm. uh, just give yourself permission to be curious and also be as courageous as you can be. And, and just, I mean, fear is contagious, but so is courage. So sometimes you have to borrow courage from other people so if you if you've made it out but you're kind of you feel like you're floundering or not sure uh, what direction to go bolster your own courage by listening to podcasts like yes. this one yes. uh, and and finding youtube channels also that are going to be encouraging uh for you as you're deconstructing you're kind of figuring out what the heck just happened and yeah. and where am i going what's my direction now um and so reach out to people you may need a secular therapist yeah. so of course i'm a secular therapist but i also encourage people to go to uh, seculartherapy.org yeah. which is from a branch of recovering from religion um so seculartherapy.org um, clergy project is also yes. really good for people who have either they're still stuck in they don't believe anymore but they have to keep working at their christian job or they've left uh, ministry um, clergy project can be helpful um, yeah and of course the divorcing religion yeah. workshop which i run a few times a year and okay. i keep it quite small you know about 10 people per workshop because I want it to be intimate and people come from every different background and we just get together. We spend mornings together, six Sunday mornings in a row. Oh, wow. That's yeah, Cause they're not going to be in church. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> and that's all online. Of course. Yeah. It's all online. Okay. So where can people find you then um, Janice? I know you have your YouTube channel, the conference on religious trauma, YouTube channel, but yes. what are some other, other ways that you have a website? 
I do. It's divorcingreligion.com. And there's a hyphen in between divorcing and religion. Okay. So divorcing-religion.com. That's how people can uh, contact me, book sessions with me, find out about the workshop. They can also find me on Twitter. I'm at divorce religion and also at wise underscore counselor and counselor spelled the Canadian way with two L's <laughs> so at wise underscore counselor and you can also just find me on Facebook I'm Janice Selby on okay. Facebook all right very good I just I um I was had a vision of you getting on that airplane to go to San Francisco oh, I was so scared to Marlene Winnell, Dr. Marlene Winnell's retreat mm -hmm. and just the amount of courage mm -hmm. that that took. You're talk, you, you talked about how courage is contagious. And I, mm -hmm. I remember taking those small steps, mm -hmm. right? Like that book that I opened that I hid under the couch. Yes. The first conversation I had with a friend, right? The podcast I listened to meeting the first atheist, knowingly atheist person, right? Yes, like it, yes. it gets easier. It gets easier. But my goodness, girl, you getting on that airplane and jotting off to San Francisco to go to that retreat. Yeah. yeah wow. <laughs> that is fantastic. Where do you think you, you got that, that gumption and that um, ability mm. to step away from the the north yes you know i think oh. part of it is part of it is what you and i were talking about um at the beginning uh the the harm that we unwittingly perpetrated on our children mm -hmm. um and so i think some of the the work that i do in the religious trauma recovery community um is an outcropping of that there's i can't do anything to go back and erase the things that I put my daughters through um, or the people that I brought to Jesus, you yes. know, that, that sort of thing. But I can tell the truth now from, from where I'm sitting, the truth that I've learned. Yeah. Um, and I kind of picture myself not going into the church and yanking people out of the, the pews, but I'm, I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs in, in a small church where someone gets flung out of the church or they stumble out of the church because they don't believe anymore or they're not welcome. And I'm there to catch them Aww. and say, it's okay. We, you can get through this. You're yeah. not alone. I'll be there with you. And there are, there's a whole community of people yeah. who understand and who will support you. Very good. Well, young lady, I just want to thank you for your time <laughs> and all of the positivity that you're putting out into the universe and, and the, all of these opportunities that you are offering this community, you know, mm -hmm. to work on healing from their, mm -hmm. from their trauma. So thank you for all that you do. I, I appreciate it. Congratulations again on your wedding Yay! and your new marriage. <laughs> Woohoo! And um, I look forward, I have looked at that. I looked at that court um, conference because oh, I know yes. I know for me it was really hard leaving religion finding a community mm -hmm. to connect with and I looked at all of the different kind of um, conferences that were out there yeah. so I will definitely look into that one a little bit more and encourage our, our listeners to do so too Excellent. Bring a group to, yeah a group right to on 
And yes. we'll, I also want to give one more plug for the shameless sexuality. You can yes. go to shamelesssexuality.org and that's for the life after purity culture uh, conference. It's going to be a very interesting and educational and dare I say fun uh, yes. event. Very good. <laughs> Thank and you that's so gonna much. Be, that's in October, you said? It is going to be okay. online October 14th to 16th. Okay, very good. All right, young lady, you have a great rest of your day. I appreciate your oh, time. Thanks. You too. Take thanks. care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on Women Beyond Faith where we are finding freedom on the other side, one story at a time.